Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. We're so glad that you are with us this morning, and uh, we are worshiping the Lord, and what an amazing day it is. Here in Middle Tennessee, we are praising God through the storm. No matter what we're going through in our lives, we can lift up praise to Him because He's good, and He knows what He's doing, and and so we just uh, want to give God all the honor and glory today for just being so good to us. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And before we get into our study, I just want to welcome you to our live stream here at Calvary Chapel. We're so thankful that you've joined in with us. And we are in a verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Thessalonians. And this morning, we uh, will come to the very last words of the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's often said that the last words of a person are the most important words. And so we want to take special care to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to us personally through, these, through this last chapter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, so we're going to consider verses 1 through 5 this morning. And then next week, uh, Lord willing, we will finish up the chapter and where Paul will give a stark warning to believers not to be idle. And so, looking forward to, uh, to what the Lord has for us today and as well as next week as we wrap up this letter. If you will stand with me, we're going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul to these believers some 2,000 years ago in Thessalonica, but he's also saying this to us today. And here's what it says, finally, brothers, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, and to the steadfastness of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for what it is going to speak into our lives. Lord, as we consider the attributes of a heart yielded to you, Lord, somebody who has surrendered their life to you, what uh, the, the fruits of that, what, what we can consider in these words, Lord, and what we can look and see in our own lives this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would just, just help us to rightly divide the word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. We desire to hear from you, you alone, Lord. So will you come now? Will you speak to our hearts individually? As your word goes forth speedily, may it be honored as the apostles' prayer was here. Lord, we thank you, and we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, you know, actually, i got to say something that uh, tomorrow is a very special day for somebody I love so much. It is my daughter Zoe's 16th birthday, and man, she is becoming a woman. It's crazy. I don't, I, I, she has a friend that's a boy. I don't know what you call that. I call it a friend that's a boy, but you know, uh, actually, I'm, I'm just amazed at the, as the woman that she's becoming, and, and she is so special to us. Zoe, we love you so much, and we just want to say happy birthday with all of our friends online and everything. If you want to send her a gift, you can just make the check out to Tim Romero. No big deal. I'll, I'll go ahead and take care. No, I'm just kidding. But happy birthday, Zoe. We're so, so grateful for you. You are a blessing to us. I have to say that because I love her so much, and I want her to, to know how special she is to, to me and to her mom and to our family. So with that said, how many of you would agree with this message? Every action in life is a response to a yielding of the heart. Now think about that. Let me say it again. Every action in life is a response to a yielding of the heart. In other words, we don't do things we don't want to do. You know, the things that we do are, are things that we desire to do, and they're things actually that we have yielded our hearts over to. Uh, Oswald Chambers said it like this in a devotion entitled, in his book entitled The Utmost for His Highest, My Utmost for His Highest. He said, the first thing 
I must be willing to admit when I begin to examine what controls and dominates me is that I am the one responsible for having yielded myself to whatever it may be. If I'm a slave to myself, I'm to blame because somewhere in the past I yielded to myself. Likewise, if I obey God, I do so because at some point in my life I yielded myself to him. If a child gives into selfishness, he, he will find it to be the most enslaving tyranny on earth. There is no power within the human soul itself that is capable of breaking the bondage of the nature created by yielding. For example, yield for one second to anything in the nature of lust, and although you may hate yourself for having yielded, you become enslaved to that thing. He goes on to say, remember what lust is. I must have it now, whether it's the lust of the flesh or the lust of the mind. No release or escape from it will ever come from any human power, but only through the power of redemption. You must yield yourself in utter humiliation to the only one who can break the dominating power in your life, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives, as the Word of God says in Luke chapter, eight, verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. When you yield to something, you will soon realize the tremendous control it has over you. Even though you say, oh, I can give up that habit whenever I like, you know that you cannot. You will find that the habit absolutely dominates you because you willingly yielded to it. It is easy to sing, he will break every fetter, while at the same time living a life of obvious slavery to yourself. But yielding to Jesus will break every kind of slavery in any person's life. So let me ask you a question again. Let me ask you about this statement again. Do you agree that every action in life is a response to a yielding of the heart. To a yielding of the heart. That is the reality. And, and if that is the reality, then we have to consider what it is that we're yielding our hearts to. It becomes the utmost importance to us then what it is that we are allowing our hearts to be conquered by. For the believers, our hearts have been yielded to Jesus, but listen, we must stay yielded to Jesus if we want to experience the power and the freedom that he died and rose again to give us. Staying yielded takes work and intention, but listen, it's worth it. As the writer of Hebrews aptly put it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, he said, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The question I have this morning is who and what are you yielding your heart to? Who and what are you giving yourself over to? If you're yielding yourself over uh, to yourself, then you'll struggle with all kinds of sinful behavior because the fruit of the flesh is sin. But, listen, if you continually yield your heart to Jesus... If you give Jesus the proper place in your life, that you are surrendered to him at all times, you will see the fruit of righteousness in your life. The title of my message this morning is A Heart Yielded to Christ. A Heart Yielded to Christ. In verses 1 through 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul expresses what I believe to be here a, a direct results, four specific direct results of a heart that is yielded to Jesus. The first thing we find in our, in our verses is a heart yielded to Christ is a praying heart. Look at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from, among, from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Now, Paul comes to the word finally here and in a pastoral sense of the word finally, you know, when you're 
pastor says, finally, he still has about 25 or 30 minutes left. And that's just the way that it is. Paul wrote the book on this thing, finally. So he's coming to the final words of, of what he has to say, you know, empowered by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak to these believers in Thessalonica who, by the way, uh, are struggling with the, the, the world that they're living in, kind of similar to where we are today. There's lots of stuff going on in their lives that they don't understand. They're saying, Lord, uh, did you really come back already? Why are we experiencing this tribulation and all this great persecution on our lives and, and all of these sorts of things? And, and so Paul is answering some questions. He's giving these people some assurance that they have not, in fact, missed the rapture uh, but they are, but Jesus is still coming. And, and if you have joined us for the series, you know that he gives us quite a bit of great information regarding the, the tribulation period, the rise of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And um, even in 1 Thessalonians, as we went through that, we talk about what that looks like. He's addressing concerns that this church has. And maybe you have concerns today. Maybe you're a little bit worried about what's going on in your world, in your respective world today. Well, listen, God has the answers, and he's the God of comfort, and he wants to bring peace into our lives, but it all comes through yielding to him. And so that Paul is, is addressing this to these people. What's interesting to me is when he gets to his final thoughts, he says, finally, listen, brothers, pray for us. Isn't that interesting? Paul you know, he's, he's in Corinth right now. He's writing this letter from Corinth, and there's lots of persecution and things going on in Corinth. He's dealing with all kinds of trouble in Corinth. If you've ever read the book of First, First Corinthians, man, you're like, whoa. I mean, how would you like to be the Apostle Paul in that place, man? It was uh, people sleeping with their mother-in-laws. And I, I mean, just, just all kinds of crazy stuff, and yet that is the epitome of sin. And Paul is in the pit, if it were, if if he were, if the pit were here in our world today, it would be Las Vegas. And so Paul was there, and <laughs> and he is dealing with that. And so he's telling them, "Listen, pray for us." I love that about Paul. I love that he he never ever got to a place in his life where he felt like he had arrived spiritually. Like, okay, I'm good. I don't need prayer anymore. Uh, don't pray for Timothy and I, Silas and. And, and I, you know, we're good. We're, we're, we're mature believers. We don't need prayer. Uh, listen, if that's your attitude, man, you are completely immature, really. I, I don't mean to, uh, I don't, hopefully that's not a newsflash to you, but I don't mean to offend you, but that's the reality. Listen, we all need prayer. Prayer is the foundation of the Christian life. Prayer is something that uh, we should give ourselves over to and also ask for from other people. By the way, I want to remind you that you can submit your prayer request <laughs> through our website. Just go to the Contact Us page and fill that out and put your prayer request there or your praise report. We want to pray with you. Listen, none of us have arrived to a point where we do no longer need prayer. Every single one of us needs prayer. And I love that Paul, Paul says, listen, pray for us. He's demonstrating the idea that he's, he's willing to yield to Christ. He's yielding to Christ, saying, I want my heart to be even more dependent on you, Lord. Prayer is, is really, the, prayer is the, the, the idea of prayer is it causes us to be dependent on the Lord. Prayer is the sacred place where our adoration, lament, worry, and cares find their way to God's ear. Prayer is not just communication with God, it is a yielding to Him. Thus, the believer ought to pray without ceasing that our hearts would be surrendered to Christ in every circumstance, in every moment. Listen, prayer is vital to the walk of the believer because it reminds us, as I said, how dependent we are on God in every situation in our life, literally. We need prayer. We ought to, pray, our, we ought to live our lives dependent on prayer. This reminds me of a story about a captain on a ship and uh, they were in the midst of a terrible storm, and, um, you know, as the ship was sinking, the captain, he, he yelled out, he said, does anybody here pray? One man made his way up to, the, to, the, to, to where the captain was, and he said, I, I pray, and he said, good, listen, you pray while we put on, while all of us put on our life jackets, because we're one short. So, oftentimes, listen, isn't that how we use prayer? Like, there's no more life jackets left for us, like... You know, it's the, the last resort of, the, of what we do. Literally, we've done everything else that we can do. Now we're going to pray. Let me ask you a question. What if, what if you and I 
what if we lived our lives on our knees and prayer was the first thing we did and the only thing we did in every circumstance of our lives? You know, if you've never read the book, uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I want to encourage you, man. I have some copies in my office. I would love to give this to you. This book is such an amazing testimony of prayer. This book, of course, George Mueller, there's plenty of other guys that are, were really surrendered in prayer to God, but, but, but Hudson Taylor, especially I love this man because he was the first mission, the inland mission to, missionary to China. And when Hudson Taylor was preparing to go to China, he lived in England, and he would pray, he would depend on prayer alone for all sorts of things. And he would put himself in positions where God had to show up because he needed to know that he could depend on God. And so he lived his life on his knees. And you read account after account after account in, his, in this book, his spiritual secret about prayer and how God met him in every situation, every circumstance. Listen, if, you, if the idea of prayer to you is, you know, you just throw up requests to God that he would submit to your will, then there's a big misunderstanding about prayer. Prayer is the very opposite of that. It's us surrendering to whatever it is that God desires to do in our lives, but we're petitioning his throne room. And there's a special place that we have in God's heart that we can come and ask. And the Bible tells us that we have not because we ask not. But we also have not because we ask amiss. And so our heart surrender should be, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's what prayer is about. And, and so, you know, Paul is saying, will you pray for us? Will you pray? Will you pray for us, man? Listen, my guess is that if we really surrendered our hearts to prayer like we ought to, that we would respond to circumstances in life totally different. Let me illustrate through the life of Jesus. Remember when the disciples were in the boat and they were going to cross over to the other side, it says? And Jesus made his way to the stern and he fell asleep on a cushion and a big storm came up and his disciples woke him up by saying this, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? I wonder how many of us have cried out to Jesus in that same manner. Don't you care? God, listen, I, I don't want to downplay your situation. I don't know what it is, and, and it could be grave. I don't know. But, but listen to me when I say this in love. Those are the stupidest words that could ever come out of the mouth of a believer. Lord, don't you care? Of course he cares. Of course he cares. Like he, he went to the cross. I mean, of course he cares. Listen, Jesus cares so much that he became just like us. And he was tempted in every, every way that we were tempted, and yet he sinned not. Does he care? Of course he cares. Listen, the issue is not God caring, but the issue is, are you willing to yield to his will? Listen, we should thank God for every circumstance and situation that comes into our lives. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, when I read James chapter 1 and I read those verses in verses 2 through 4 and, I, and it says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I think like pure joy, pure joy. Yeah, consider it pure joy. Why? Because God is at work. And if God has allowed it in your life, then it's because we need it. And we should thank him for what, what he's doing. And if we do that, listen, the way that, we, the way that we navigate through storms totally changes. And in fact, I think that the way that we navigate through storms is exactly the way Jesus was navigating through that storm in that boat. That we are so at peace knowing that the sovereign hand of God is upon our lives that we are laying in the stern of the boat while the storm's going on totally asleep in comfort in the peace of the Lord. Paul never got to a place in his life where he had arrived to a point that he felt like he didn't need prayer. 
Listen, some of you are trying to go it alone. And I can tell you that doesn't work out well. We need the Lord to work in our lives. And we petition the Lord to get our hearts centered on the Lord so that we can become more dependent on the Lord. Notice what Paul asked for prayer about. He says, pray that the word of God would go forth speedily and that men would honor it. When a person's heart is yielded to Christ, the thing that he cares about most is the advancement of the kingdom of God. Does Paul have problems? Sure he has problems. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. Does he have health issues? Of course he has health issues. We read about those things. Does he have trials and perils and all kinds of different things? He knows how to be content in, in little and in much. And so he's not petitioning God in this moment saying, God, will you show up in my life in a specific way that, that you would relieve me of the, the trials and the tribulations of my life? No, he says this. He'll pray for that in a minute. But I love his heart here. The first thing he prays for is the advancement of the kingdom of, of, of God. He's saying, listen, I want God's kingdom to advance. I want the gospel to go forward. This is a missions-minded person. The missions-minded person is praying always for the lost people to be found, for those who belong to Christ to become more and more like Jesus. That is the prayer of a mission-minded Christian. And Paul is saying, pray for us. Pray that the word will go forth in speed, meaning that it will make progress, that it will be unobstructable, that it will be unhindered so that lost people can hear it and so that they can honor it. What does that mean? So that they can surrender to it, to honor it to recognize it as it is, that it is the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can speak right into my life, that it can tell me exactly what I need to hear in the moment, and that it will always lead me to the foot of the cross where there is redemption and forgiveness found through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you can honor the Word of God is to surrender to it. Notice, he, he goes on to say, just as it's happening with you. He's saying that's exactly what's happening in Thessalonica. These guys, the gospel is going forward speedily, and men are honoring the gospel, meaning people are coming to Christ. This is all a result of prayer, folks. Listen, the effectiveness of every pastor has everything to do with the prayers of the people he is serving. You know that? <laughs> I love the story of Charles Spurgeon. He, he was getting ready to sell his uh, church building at one time. There was a prospective buyer that he was shown around the place, and he said, uh, you know, he asked him tons of questions about the building and the structure and all this kind of stuff, but he came to the last point where he said, show me what powers this thing. Show me what powers this building. Spurgeon says, oh, you want to see what powers it? Okay, well, let me show you. So he led him down into the basement, and he led him down to this room. And he opened up the door, and there was probably 20 or 30 men in that room praying. And he said, you want to know what powers this place? It's this. It's prayer. Prayer is what powers this place. What an incredible illustration. Listen, without the prayers of people that are praying, God, cause your word to go forward. Cause your word to be unobstructed, Lord, unhindered. Let it go forward. Let it hit the heart of the unbeliever and the believer alike that it would be what it is that we need it to be in the moment, Lord, that we would receive it. We would humble ourselves and surrender to it. The most effective thing we can do as Christians is pray that God's word would go forth in might and power. I ask you, church, pray for me. Pray for the pastors of this church that as we bring the word forward, man, that it comes in might and power, that they are not our words, that we're not trying to entertain people or anything like that. Like we want the word of God to go forward because it's the word of God that changes lives. And that's what we want. And we pray that you would, you would pray for us as we bring the word forward, that it would be surrendered to uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit and it would be his words, not ours. Secondly, Paul prays, asks for prayer for deliverance from wicked and evil men who have no faith, meaning they have not only rejected the gospel, but now they're hostile towards it. That's what he's saying. These, these people have fully rejected the gospel, and now they're hostile towards the gospel. 
Listen, it's not wrong to ask God for protection. It's not, it's not wrong to ask God to come and help you in your life, in your circumstances, in your situation. Um, you know, but again, I, with the idea, the premise, even as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if this is necessary, then Lord, I surrender to it. Whatever you need to do, God. I want my life to be given over to you in such a way that it would be lived out in a way that, Lord, you could do anything. And I would be at peace with you because I know that you're at work. Well, that just doesn't sound human. Well, it's not. It's, it's super power. It's, it's, it's beyond humanity. We're not talking about, I, I mean, if you think you can live the Christian life and the power of the flesh, you're totally mistaken. We need superpower. We need Holy Spirit power to live out this life. And if we will, listen, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. There is a comfort from God that cannot be matched. And so we surrender ourselves to that. Paul says, listen, I want to pray that God, that you deliver us from Satan's men. These are, these are minions of the enemy who are trying very, very um, diligently to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the enemy, listen, he uses men. And in fact, you recall that it, he even uses believers at times. It was Peter that stood before Jesus, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Don't think for a second, if your heart's not surrendered to the Lord, if you were not walking in the Lord, and you start spewing off, you know, your counsel to somebody that's from you, maybe it's from the enemy, actually. That's why we want to be wise in who we listen to. We want to make sure that this person is vetted through the Spirit of God, that they have a walk with Jesus that is demonstrated. Listen, you want to understand the Spirit that's speaking to you. The only spirit we want to surrender to is the Holy Spirit. Paul says, listen, pray for us, man. Pray for us. Beckon the throne room of God on our behalf that the enemy is not allowed to hinder the gospel in any way, shape, or form. You know, the enemy is using all kinds of men in our world today to try and hinder the gospel. And in fact, I would say, you know, if I were to summarize it into one specific people group, that the enemy is using mightily, I would say that the enemy is mightily using Muslims. He's mightily using Muslims to come and persecute against. They are, they are men that are, that are not of the faith. They have no faith in Jesus Christ. They have no faith in the gospel. They, don't, they re fully reject the gospel. They fully reject Christianity. They think that we're Satan. And so what do they do? They're persecuting the church. And in fact, if you go on Open Doors Ministry, you can see there's the top I think 100 countries of persecuted Christians. And you know, in the top 20, 16 in the top 20 are Muslim countries, Muslim nations. Why? Because they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus and they hate anybody who calls themselves a Christian. And listen, if you become a Christian in that culture, you're probably going to lose your life. But if you are then a person who propagates the gospel in that culture, you're definitely going to be in the midst of uh, losing, you know, being heavily persecuted and probably beheaded. The prayer, Lord, protect us from these men of Satan is still needed in our culture today. Maybe not in America. Our, listen, our persecution is different. Our persecution in our country is more legislative. But in every other place in the world, listen, it's, it's, it's physical. And people are giving their lives up for Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you Christian, to pray for your brothers and sisters in all, these, all the other countries in the world that are being persecuted by, particularly the Muslims, by, by, by men of Satan who are uh, fully rejecting the gospel and want to wipe out the Lord and anybody who represents the Lord. Paul goes on here and he's, he, he tells us, listen, a heart that's yielded to Christ is not only a praying heart, but it's also a trusting heart. Look at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Trust or lack thereof is the foundation of every relationship. We know that. In fact, in marriage counseling, one of the first things that we talk about is trust. Can you trust your, this person you're about to marry? Listen, you have to trust that person with your life. And trust is the foundation of every, every, every strong uh, relationship that we have if you have little trust, then your relationship is going to be shallow. 
It's going to be unfulfilling. But if you have great trust, your relationship will be deep and satisfying to the soul. And nothing will be able to destroy it. This is, this is so vividly illustrated in, in the relationship of Alexander the Great and his physician and friend, Philip. Uh, King Darius, during the time, of King Darius of Persia III there, he, he offered a thousand talents to anyone who would kill Alexander the Great. He wanted him dead. So when Alexander um, contracted pneumonia, there were really no physicians that would touch him, would want to treat him because they were afraid that if he died under their watch that they would be accused of being bribed and, and taking the thousand talents uh, from Darius and, and they didn't want that responsibility. And yet there was one man, Philip, who had been the king's doctor since childhood, he was willing not only because of his confidence and his abilities to uh, treat the king, but also because of his relationship with the king. It, it, the story goes on that when, he, when the king's fever got to a point where it was out of control, uh, Philip left the room to mix up, mix up some sort of a concoction that he felt would cure him of this fever. And in the meantime, the king got a letter from a messenger that had come in his room, and he, as he was reading the letter, it said, it said to, something to the effect that, um, you know, Darius is trying to kill you. He's using physician. He's going to use your physician um, to poison you, so do not take anything that your physician gives you. Just about that time when he finished up the letter, Philip comes in with a cup of medicine, and he hands it to the king. The king takes the cup. He slowly draws it to himself. Meanwhile, he's handing Philip the letter that he just read with the other hand. As Philip grabs it and he begins to read it, Alexander begins to drink the concoction that Philip had made. And when when, when their eyes met after he had read the letter and after he had finished the cup and he handed the cup back to Philip and he smiled. They had a relationship that was so strong that it would go beyond any kind of accusations that were made. How amazing. Relation, trust in relationships is key. Trust in God is key. Paul tells us here, God is faithful, man. He, he's faithful. That means that whenever we encounter something that we don't understand, we fall back on the things that we do understand. Thank you, Pastor Chuck Smith, for that wisdom. Listen, God is madly in love with you. He's madly in love with you, and he wants nothing more than for you to yield your heart over to him in those moments when you don't understand what's going on, and you say, Lord, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you anyway because we have such a relationship, and you've been such a great God to me. You've been so faithful to me that I know that you're trustworthy, God. I know that you're reliable. I know that you're dependable. That's what the word faithful means. Like, God, I know that you are so good, and I'm going to trust you through this situation, if you've allowed it into my life, Lord, then you're going to be faithful in completing whatever work needs to be done in my life through this trial or through this circumstance. I trust you, Lord. It's not enough. Listen, it's not enough to trust God in the difficult times in life or in, in the good times in life. It, we have to trust him in the most difficult times of life. That's really ultimately where our the trust for the Lord, where it is uh, found, whether we really do trust him in the way that we say we do. You know, when you're going through stuff, are you like the disciples who are saying, don't you care? Trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Listen, while I was preparing my sermon, it's amazing. I got a text in from somebody who was sharing with me a praise report. And this person said, listen, I was in a situation where it was kind of a grim situation. I was, I was you know, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but it sounded like I was a little worried. I was a little concerned, but I started to pray. And I asked God, God, will you give me wisdom here? I don't know what to do. I, I, I mean, 
you know, you obviously know all the, all, you know my life from the end, from the beginning, but I, but I need your help here. And this particular situation that this person was going through, uh, the Lord said, I, I just want you to wait. How many of you love when the Lord says that? No, just wait. No, Lord, no, really, like, I would like to know now. I'm, I don't know. That would be better for me, but, <laughs> but the Lord says, wait. So this person says, okay, Lord, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll trust you, God. And as this person trusted the Lord in, in, in a series of a couple months, things turned around. Things changed. And the Lord had done a work and is presently doing work to the point that this person's saying, man, I'm so thankful that I listened to God, that I waited on God because he's doing a work in this situation and he's praising the Lord now. Now, here's the thing. That's awesome in this circumstance, but here's what happened, which is even greater. This person has a greater trust in Jesus now than they ever have in their life because of this, because of this moment. You understand how God uses difficult situations to show himself strong through your life so that you can trust him in deeper and more intimate ways. Listen, God knows what he's doing. You might be in the middle of something today, maybe a health issue, a financial situation, or whatever, but here's, here's you know, you pray to the Lord, and you do what he tells you to do. And if he tells you to wait, you trust him. Trust the Lord. Do what he says. You'll never, ever, you know, be sorry that you did that. It's amazing to hear that. Praise God for what he's doing. Notice Paul says, God, you're faithful. And... and you know, and God will establish and guard us and, and these through this prayer request, guard them against the evil one. We don't have to worry about the enemy and what he's doing. So oftentimes people are so concerned about what's the enemy doing. Who cares what the enemy's doing? What I care about is what's the Lord doing? What is the Lord doing? Let's get our perspective correct. We don't need to worry about what the enemy's doing. What we need to be concerned about is what is the Lord trying to do in my life? Don't be so focused on yourself, but be focused on the will of God. What is he doing in the moment? I promise you can trust him. MacArthur said in his commentary on this passage, he said, God will firmly establish believers on the inside and guard them on the outside from the evil one. He will. He's able to do that. God is, uh, God is faithful, Christian, and you can trust him. So then... May our resolve be as it was with Jude, the brother of Jesus, who said this in Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. He said, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy to the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude understood that man, Jesus, is enough. He's going to do everything he said he was going to do. And far more than that. Listen, I don't know what you're facing, once again, but what I do know is you can trust the Lord. I want to remind you of the, of the children's song that we sang in, in preschool or, you know, in, in children's church and all of that. Sing Hosanna. You know the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's like a little jazzy one, <laughs> a little jazzy the sing Hosanna song. But listen, kids, sing that to your parents when they're fretting over things. God has the whole world in his hands. He's got your whole world in his hands. He knows what he's doing, and he is doing something good even though we may not be able to see it, this is where we trust God and we rely on Him, on His testimony, on, on the things that He says in His Word. A heart yielded to Christ will not only be a praying heart and a trusting heart, but it will also, listen, be an obedient heart. Look at verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul goes on here to talk to these believers about his confidence and where it lies. This is so amazing. I know that we love it when people say, man, I'm so confident in you. I just, I put all my confidence in you. Please don't do that. 
Don't ever put your confidence in me. Don't ever put your confidence in any human being. Your confidence should never be in, in any human being. In fact, what Paul says here is really ultimately where our confidence should always be. He says, I put my confidence in the Lord who's working through you. Isn't that amazing? Here's what Paul is saying. I can trust God in every situation, in every circumstance, and if you'll listen to him and you'll do what he says, then listen, I'll, I'll see his faithfulness work out in your life. I'm putting my confidence in the Lord, not in man. I love that. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, have no confidence in the flesh. And of course, the context of that verse is speaking about religious activity and having confidence in our salvation through Christ and not through the works of the flesh. But, but the idea is, is that we have no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. We trust the Lord. We, our confidence rests in the Lord always and what He's done for us and what He is doing in and through us. We trust the Lord. Our confidence is not in, should never be put in a man, but only in the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will never fail us. Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. I wonder if I'm the only one that struggles with this, but sometimes I get so confident in my ability to walk in the Lord that I start doing what I think is best rather than waiting on the Lord. Am I the only one that does that? I might be. I, I could be, but, you know, the, the Spirit tells me perhaps not. I, I, I'm, not I'm, I'm tempted in every, every way that is common to man. Listen, it's easy to start walking in your own confidence as if you've got this thing handled, as if you've arrived spiritually, as if you've matured to such a degree that you no longer need God's help. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to probably have training wheels on until I go to heaven. Probably going to, the Lord's probably going to be helping me walk along the rest of my life until I go to heaven. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. And that's what I would, I would, I want to be in his hands in that way. And I hope you do too. I hope that you don't ever get to a place where you feel like, hey, God, I, I got this. You know, like, like the teenage years, you know, where your, your teenagers, they only need you for your wallet. <laughs> you know, oh, just not, my kids aren't like that at all. But I mean, other people's kids might be like that. But, you know, the idea that, hey, I'm independent enough, I can handle my own life. Foolishness. Listen, and God will, God will, he'll remind us of that at times. He'll bring things into our lives and say, hey, how are you going to handle this one? You know, rather than me trying to figure out, like, how am I going to navigate through this situation or circumstance, I like to look at things like this. Lord, you, you really have yourself in a situation here. How are you going to get out of it? You know, it might involve me in my life, but I'm trusting that he knows what he's doing, that he's going to navigate through this because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I trust the Lord that, you know, if he's put me in a situation, then this is his problem to handle, not mine. And so I need to trust him. I need to have my confidence in the Lord. I love Paul. Paul talks about um, their conf his confidence in the Lord about what they are doing, present tense, and what they should continue to do, future tense. You see that? He's saying, man, are you... Our confidence is in the Lord regarding what you are doing and will do. Let me ask you, are you doing the things God has commanded you to do in, your, in his word? Currently, are you, are you presently in this moment doing what the Lord has told you to do? Are you obedient to the Lord? Are you obedient in, in, in what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says to present yourself to God as a, one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Are you somebody who is investing in your relationship with God? Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? Are you walking in the wisdom towards those who are outside? Are, are you sharing your faith? Are you loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Are you doing presently what the Lord is telling you to do? Oh, well, that's overwhelming. It's really pretty simple. It's surrender yourself to the Lord. Really surrender and yield yourself over to God and then just follow the path that he lays out before you. 
I think we make it way more difficult. There's not a moment that shouldn't belong to God in your life. There's not, there's not a circumstance that you should walk through on your own thinking like, man, this really sucks. I'm going through this on my own. You're not going through it on your own. You need to give that over to the Lord and tell him, Lord, you, you walk through this. Do what he says. Do what he says. And the, the question goes on, Paul says, is, you know, are you going to, he has confidence in the Lord that they will continue to do what, he's, do, do what they commanded him. He's speaking about the word of God here, not his own words, but the word of God that's going forth in, into these people's lives. And he's saying, I'm, I'm confident the, the Lord will cause you to continue to walk in these commands. Will you continue to walk in the obedience of the Lord? Will you continue to walk in his word? I know this takes effort and it takes intention. I love what David Guzik said about this. He said, God doesn't just pour spiritual maturity and stability into us. He works, in, he works it in us through our cooperation with his will. In other words, it takes effort on our end to become mature in the Lord, to grow in the Lord, to, to become obedient to God. It, take, it takes work. It takes work to surrender to the Lord. Maturity takes intention and hard work. You're not just going to wake up accidentally one day and just go, wow, look how mature I am. It's not going to happen. You need to seek it out. And you need to surrender and yield to the Lord and discipline yourself to walk in obedience to God. It takes intention and willingness to yield our hearts to Christ to do His will and not our own. But listen, if we are yielded to Him, then we will walk in accordance to His Word. So what's stopping you today from being obedient? Anything? Yield your heart to the Lord this morning if you're not being obedient to Him. If you know that you're outside of where He wants you to be this morning, come back to Him. Say, Lord, Forgive me for not being obedient in this way. I surrender myself to you. I yield myself over to you. And I want to walk in you, on the path that you have for me. Well, Paul goes on here and he, he, he says, finally, you know, and, and I don't mean that in the last 25, like, it, like in the pastoral sense of the word for like I have 25 minutes left. But finally, he goes on to say, a yielded heart to Christ is a heart that will grow in Christ. Look at verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul's plea here for these believers is that God direct their hearts to two specific things. The, the, the idea here, before I get into that, the word direct literally means to guide straight towards or upon something. Generally, it means to guide or direct one's way or journey to a place. Listen, we need a, we need a guide. We need, we need somebody to guide us along the way as we, as we ascend the mountain of God. We need a guide to do that. And Paul is praying that God would guide and direct the hearts of these believers in two specific ways. Listen, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. These are specific. He's praying specifically that they would have a better understanding of the love of God and that they would have a better understanding of the steadfastness of Christ. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Firstly, these believers would need to grow in their understanding of God's love for them. Here's the thing is that the better we understand God's love, the better we understand how we are to love. So if we invest in understanding the way that God loves us, then that information in and of itself should create in our hearts a, a different kind of love for other people. Like to the greater, to the extent that we understand the love of God is the extent that we can love. And although we will never fully comprehend that God's love is unconditional, that it's not based on anything that we have done, it's based on who He is. We can grow in our understanding of it. One of the passages i quote a lot and I really like to meditate on because it is, it is to me the, one of the most powerful verses in, in the Bible as it relates to demonstrating God's love and it's Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and I love this verse. For God demonstrated his love for us that in while we were yet still sinners Christ died. While we were still or I, 
a different version of the Bible, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. You know what that verse says? I mean, meditate on that verse. Do you understand what it's saying? I mean, what, what it's saying is that God loved you with all the love that he had to give you in the worst moment of your life while you were yet a sinner. Like, think about the darkest moments of your life, whatever that was, whatever that may be. The places that you don't like to go, right? In your own mind. What you need to understand is God loved you with all the love that he has to give in that moment. As much as he does, even perhaps in your very best moment. Maybe the moment you gave your heart to Jesus or you surrendered your life or you're living for the Lord, whatever the case may be. If you're born again, you need to understand that God loved you at your worst as much as he does at your best. And if you are not a believer today, you need to understand that. That God loves you right where you are. Like he doesn't, he has all the love that he has to give. He's pouring on you right now. And in fact, it says that he loved us with that kind of love and, and he demonstrated it by giving us his own son. Christ died for us. Jesus, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews said it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross, despised the same. He sits at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he was, he was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and, and the reason why he endured the cross is because he was thinking of you. He was loving you in that moment. He loved you far more than he loved his own life, that he would give himself up for you. Man, I, I don't, if that doesn't wreck you, I, I don't know what will wreck you. I mean, this verse right here is a verse that I meditate on a lot because it's completely wrecked me in a beautiful way. Like, I, I, I am trying to understand the love of God. And to me, there's no clearer picture than that. That God loved me at my worst. He loved me with everything, with all the love that he had to give at my worst. And he was cheering for me and he was longing to be in relationship with me. May we continue to grow in our understanding of the love of God. How much he loves the lost as he does the found. And may it transform that we love the way that we love the lost and the found. Not only this, but he goes on and he says, but, but we also, we need to grow in our understanding of the love of God, but also grow in the understanding of the steadfastness of Christ. The word steadfastness here could be translated patient endurance. The patient endurance of Christ. Have you ever considered to, the, to what extent it is that Jesus patiently endured your sin? That Jesus patiently endured your doubts, that Jesus patiently endures your struggles, like he patiently endures those things. Jesus, Jesus wanted us to know that he related to us so much that he himself came to become like us, clothed in the flesh of Adam. He wasn't clothed in sinful flesh. He was, he was the second Adam. He was clothed in the, the, the same flesh that Adam was clothed in prior to the fall. And so he was without sin when he was born, just like Adam was when he was formed. And yet, he had the capacity to sin, just like Adam did. He had the capacity to walk away from the Lord if he chose to. He had free will, just like you and I have free will. He, he, was, he came in the flesh. He, 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 he was tested and tempted in every way that we are, and he failed not. Why? Because he was thinking of you. He was thinking of you and he knew that he had to become the sacrifice for you. The perfect sacrifice. The unblemished sacrifice. He was surrendered and yielded to the Father to such a degree that he never considered his own will, but only the Father's will. He understands what it's like for us to be tempted. Jesus understands what it's like for us uh, when, when, when we're struggling with decisions that we have to make. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the burden of, of doing the right thing in the moment. Don't think for a second that as Jesus walked down this earth that he had no pressure on his life. 
They had no pressure in doing the wrong thing. You know, I think oftentimes we, we, we focus on the deity of Christ and for, forget about the humanity of Christ. Jesus was a human being that was clothed in the flesh. Like he had the same temptations you have, and yet he surrendered his heart to the Father. And he did it perfectly. And that's why he patiently endures you. Patiently endured you in your worst moments, and he's patiently enduring you now. You might be redeemed. And listen, he is still, I promise you, patiently enduring you. He is patiently enduring me. He understands the weakness of man. He understands the frailty of who we are. And yet he's patient. And he endures through all of our hardships and all the difficulties of our lives, the, the, the bad decisions that we make, the, the sinful desires we have. He endures through those things because he loves us. Paul's prayer for these believers is that, that they would understand how patient, how the Lord endured our humanity. Listen, so that we could in turn then patiently endure the humanity of others. Do you get that? Like the Lord was so, he patiently endured us to such a degree so that we could receive that and understand that and then patiently endure the humanity of other people. I mean, look around the world, man. There's sin everywhere. That shouldn't surprise you. Sinners sin. And you know what? Saviors save. But what do saints do? What are the saints of God supposed to do? We demonstrate the reality of the patient endurance of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's what we do. We say, hey, I'm redeemed by the grace of God. I want to remind you of something. Again, another beautiful verse that you need to put into your memory banks. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and through 11 it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is why I read this verse. Verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't you dare forget who you once were. Don't you dare forget how you were sanctified, how you were washed, how you were justified. It had nothing to do with what you've done. It had everything to do with what Jesus did. We were destined for hell. We were destined to be eternally damned. And yet, the grace of God found us in our darkness and shined light into our lives and gave us hope through the cross of Jesus. Don't you dare forget about how you were saved. And such were some of you. We were all in that place, man. So then, when you encounter sin. Listen, offer the grace of God, which is found through the cross of Jesus Christ. Offer hope in that situation. Listen, we can't make people receive the gospel. What we can do is we can lead them to the foot of the cross. We can introduce them to Jesus, and we can, we can let them know that he wants to forgive them for their sins. We can't make them do that, but we should patiently endure with them as they sit there and make that decision. We should patiently endure just like Jesus did with you at the foot of the cross just saying the blood of Christ can, can wash you clean right now. He can redeem you. He can justify you. He can change everything about you right now. That's how we, that's how we deal with an unbeliever is we bring him to the foot of the cross. How do we deal with a believer who sinned? Do we scoff at him? <laughs> I thought you were a believer. I, I think we probably think that sometimes. But the Word of God tells us how to deal with a believer who sinned. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, 
Listen, if you encounter somebody who's, who's been entrapped, who's been overcome by some trespass that says you who are spiritual, you who are redeemed, you who are washed, you who have received the grace of God, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, by the way, keep watch lest you be tempted too. Restore that person with a spirit of gentleness, reminding them of the grace of God. Listen, it's by the grace of God that we are what we are. And, and listen, we are receivers of the grace of God the entire, uh, our entire lives here on earth. Listen, be, be, the, be, the, um, the, be the person who, be the beggar who is just showing another beggar where to get some bread, man. Just go and show people the grace of God because you're, you're, you're a trophy of grace. If, I don't know if you know that, but you are a trophy of grace. God has extended his hand of grace upon you. He's been impatient and enduring everything that you are, and he wants you to do the same. And he wants you to help people understand that God is also patiently enduring them. So be Jesus to the lost and the found. After all, we were all once lost. And Jesus was incredibly patient with us, enduring our sinfulness. And even though we may be found today, meaning Jesus has become the Lord of our life, he's continuing in that patient endurance with us even now as we are sanctified daily, being transformed on a daily basis into the image of Christ. Wow, talk about powerful words. Talk about a powerful uh, final uh, words of, of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul here. It's important that we get what he's saying here in these first five verses. It's important that we understand the, 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 the utter importance of us yielding our hearts to Christ. Yielding our hearts to Christ in salvation and yielding our hearts in Christ to, to the Lord in sanctification. Let me ask you, how are you measuring up against God's word this morning? Are you yielded to the Lord today? Have you lost sight of some of the things that have been spoken about this morning? Be reminded this morning of the importance of yielding your heart to Christ and not anything else. Because as Ozzy Walt Chambers said here, the first thing I must be willing to admit when I begin to examine what controls and dominates me is that I am the one responsible for having yielded myself to whatever it may be. A heart yielded to Christ is a praying heart, it's a trusting heart, it's an obedient heart, and finally, it's a growing heart. What does your heart look like this morning? If you're not yielded to, the, to Christ this morning uh, in any of these areas in your life, then may you do that even right now. May you just yield yourself over to the Lord and ask him to take full control. Father, we thank you for your word. You were so good to us. You're an amazing father. Lord, we thank you for extending your hand of grace to us now. Right now, Lord. Maybe we've fallen short in some way, Lord, and we have abandoned the idea of being a praying Christian. Being, being a, a person that is trusting in you and you alone, Lord. Being obedient to your word. Maybe we've stopped growing, Lord, in you. We ask you now, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to, to just forgive us today. Forgive us for our sin, Lord. Forgive us for our, our arrogance and our unwillingness, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for not yielding ourselves over to you. And we ask you now, Lord, to take our heart. We ask you now, Lord, we yield ourselves to you. Have your way, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, that you are faithful. Lord, I, the enemy is trying to hinder this moment, Lord. But you are far more powerful. And so we just surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask, Lord, if anyone 
uh, listening online currently doesn't have a relationship with you, that they just surrender their hearts to you by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in their hearts that God raised them from the dead, turning away from their sin and turning to you. Lord, it's a, it's a full-on surrender to you. And may, we, may they, as they do that, may they live their lives on their knees, surrender to you, yield it to you fully. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to bless our time together as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.